freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, everybody. This is, a, this is an exciting podcast for me because I think of all the people that we've spoken to, Zuby is the most unique. Now, there is a, there is a question whether you can ever say most unique. But I think that when you exceed the average, more than the average exceeder, you can be more unique than somebody else. I don't know. In any event, this is this is the famous Zuby. Unzube and Zudue. That's the last time we're gonna say it. You tried. I tried. <laughs> Inzube. Inzube Aduzue. Uh you tried again, not quite, but <laughs> I appreciate the effort. Well, I think that now that I've schlepped it out, now that I've done it, you you owe it to the world to say it properly. So yeah, there sure. should be no, no misunderstandings. Unzube Udezwe. Udezwe. Yeah. And I asked him right, right before we went on. So I, you know, I, as everyone knows, I speak most languages of the world, uh, or at least a couple. Uh, Zubi is a gigantic figure on the internet. He's got uh, four or 500,000 followers. He's a rapper, he's a, a workout fiend, an author, a podcaster. And I've got a lot of questions to ask him about his career path and, and, and how I think that actually is, is very relevant to our overall topic, which we touch on eventually lightly around here, which is free speech. Um, of course, Zuby has had the privilege of being suspended albeit for a short amount of time, uh, <laughs> held up by Twitter for using the words, okay, dude, mm -hmm. those were the entire, that was the, that was the tweet, as we say in Twitter. In any event, it's, Zuby, what time is it for you where you are? Um, it's six o'clock. I'm in Istanbul right now. You've been traveling around a lot lately, right? Yeah, I'm going to be in the States in a couple of weeks time, and I'm going to be traveling all over the USA this summer and going into the autumn period. So is that, is that going to be in connection with supporting the upcoming album or unconnected or unrelated? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, yeah, a, a whole lot of things, a whole lot of things. I've got a lot of opportunities, a lot of podcasts, a lot of interviews. I'm going to be doing stuff for the album, I'm going to be shooting some new videos, connecting with other artists, a whole bunch of stuff, music, podcasts, I'm sure I'll squeeze in some fitness stuff. I've got some public speaking events lined up as well. So going to be doing a lot of cool stuff. I'm excited. So Zuby, folks, is is an Englishman. I don't know if he intends to remain one. I, I think I've picked up in his tweets that, that the answer to that might be no, and I'll let him answer for himself. But I just want to run down the, the basic stuff as I understand it. Um, he is the, his, his father is a doctor, a fellow of the Royal Society of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. His mother's a journalist. He grew up in Saudi Arabia for some, uh, at least some time returned to the UK for travel. Is that why your accent, it was it the Saudi Arabian International School? That is the yeah, reason exactly. that you, uh, that's why yeah, you sound so like I'll, an Englishman. 
Yeah, I was in the American school system from kindergarten up until fifth grade. And then I left for the UK after that. So, and I've always just maintained the accent to some degree. It's some hybrid combination between the two now. Well, it's a very, very pleasant accent. Between 2004 and 2007, he was at St. Edmund Hall in Oxford, graduating with first class honors in computer science, a musician, piano, trombone, and then hip hop. So here you are being a legitimate musician, and then you go into hip hop. How many hip hop people have a background in actually reading notes? And I, I'm answering this question in all sincerity because the answer might be that it's far more than I think. Um, probably a few, but certainly not the majority. Now, do you think, do, do you compose any of the, or all of the, do you, do you the music and the rapping? Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not a producer, so I don't make the beats. So the instrumentals people hear of my songs, those are created by different people. I work with various talented producers all around the world, but I write all my lyrics. Of course, the rapping, all of that is me. I'm the wordsmith and I let other people handle the uh, instrumental aspect of it. Now, it, it, it is your, I mean, you know, if I were to give you a, um, a customs form to fill out and there's a little tiny section on there that says uh, profession or employment or, you know, whatever the term they use, is rapper what you put in there? <laughs> I'm only allowed to put in one. That's how it usually goes. I mean, I know that we live in a sophisticated and complicated world, but mm. what you're not, what are you? The answer is Zuby. Yeah. But the what, answer what is Zuby. You, right. um, I'd say, man, you know, if you asked me that a couple of years ago, it certainly would have been just rapper. But I think at this stage, the most all encompassing answer might be something like creative entrepreneur. Yes. And that's a term that I've seen you use a number of times. And I like that. And uh, you seem to certainly have justified it. You have you have uh, made yourself known as somebody with rather conservative political views. And as a black man, and is it, isn't it good that you can't we can't call you an African American because you're not American. Nope. Did you hear about that guy? I, this was like 15, ten or fifteen years ago. That sports announcer referred to some black athlete from Africa as an African-American. <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot. There's there's this weird thing where, uh, I don't know, I think a lot of people in America are so America-centric and perhaps have never traveled outside. So when they just see a black person, they assume that they are black American or African-American and they don't really uh, pause to realize that I think about 95% of black people in the world are not in fact American. So. <laughs> I've even heard that there are white people who aren't Americans. I mean, I... Hey, who, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> so, you know, you're using, and the reason I asked you the question about uh, what you consider yourself, what you, it is, and that would be kind of like an old fashioned talk show question. But I asked for a different reason. The reason that I asked it is I'm curious about why you're why you've chosen rap as your, what seems to be the, the leading edge of your entrepreneurship, let's put it that way. Mm. You have a lot to say, you have a lot of interesting experience, experiences. You, you're not, you're not you're, you're, your rap creations, we call them songs, we call them music, whatever it is, it says oh, music right here, so it's mm. music. Absolutely. They are, that you you self 
publish them or yourself produce no, you, you're not you're not you don't have a contract with I'm any independent. any studios you're an independent an indie as we used to say mm -hmm. when I, in my dj days do you want to be an indie yes absolutely why not you know you get to actually keep some of your own money I've been indie since way before it was cool to be indie. It's it's cool to be indie now, but I've been indie since I released my first album in 2006. And did, so you never, did anyone ever approach you from one of the major um, labels? I don't know about majors. I mean, I've had people reach out to me on various stuff, but, uh, you know, maybe in the first couple of years, I was intrigued by that notion, but I'm so far into what I do now on all every level that the concept of even signing with a label or I haven't even thought about it for like eight years. Oh, but so, look, you're a smart guy. We know that you're creative and you're an entrepreneur, uh -huh. but do, who is it who stands over your shoulder and whispers in your ear regarding your mortality or, or more specifically, it, it, here's the segue from the previous question. Okay. If you were working with a label, you'd have somebody telling, you know, advising you, either, for, you know, mm -hmm. presumably from the label, and they would, would be pushed back and a back and forth. When a person is an entrepreneur uh, and, and is working entirely in his own space and, you know, answering only to himself, and you've been very successful so far doing it, is there someone that you have who can tell to you straight, Zuby, this, this cut does not belong on the album. This is, this is garbage. <laughs> well, I don't make garbage songs, so- I It's never happened, that. that's right. It's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm that person. If I don't like it, if, if I don't think it's up to par, then I'm not going to put it out there. But it's rare for me to make a song that doesn't go onto an album because by the time I already start writing, uh, if if it's not going the way I want it to, then I'll be like, nah, this isn't this isn't the one. But that doesn't happen often. I'm pretty. Some artists are very very prolific and they just write 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 and then they just keep the best bits. With me, I don't even write unless I think it's quality i don't write songs just for the sake of writing songs i write songs for them to go out there and to convey a message and to entertain people so i don't have like a huge catalog of tracks that i've never put out there most of what i've made is out there in the world and that's how i do it but in terms of people to answer to you know i answer to myself i answer to god <laughs> on a bigger scheme and i answer to my fans and my supporters right that that's who i care about that's who the music is for so everything I create, ultimately, it comes down to the audience. Like if, if someone's not a fan of mine or they don't generally like or listen to what I do, then their view of it is, you know, I don't waste time on their opinions. It doesn't matter to me. So you, so, so the answer is you're, you're, you're a solo. You're, you, you're, you're trusting mm -hmm. in yourself. So mm -hmm. far, you're satisfied with how it's gone. You, you're getting feedback. So that in and of itself leads me to the real follow-up question is, Again, why why is rap the medium for you to to be Zuby? Because mm, I'm good at it, and it's uh, I'm a hip hop fan. It's my favorite form of music. So when I became a professional musician, or even when I started doing music as a hobby and making songs, rap was the natural path for me to take as a big hip hop fan and a big hip hop listener. And yeah, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not a wonderful singer. I'm a much better rapper than I am a singer. <laughs> so uh, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, an obvious path for me. And I love hip hop because you have the space and the ability to express 
whatever you want. I think that hip hop is one of the most versatile art forms and forms of music because you're not limited or restricted in any way, shape or form. First of all, in a rap song, just the amount of lyrics that you've got in a single song. I mean, if you look at the lyrics of some of my songs, it's got as many lyrics as six songs of a, of a pop song or a rock song, right? In terms of just density. And there's no limits or restraints. If you're an R&B singer, you know, typically your songs are about love and relationships and heartbreak, et cetera. You know, every single song, every single album, it's all about love and relationships. Um, in hip hop, you can make a song about love and relationships. You can also make a song about whatever you want. You can make a song about politics, religion, social issues, having fun at a party, um, you know, champagne, cars, whatever. There's no, there's no limit. And there aren't very many forms of music or forms of art where you can literally talk about whatever you want, positive, negative, neutral, important, unimportant, it doesn't matter. Hip hop just covers the entire spectrum. And also in hip hop, it's a form of music where it's almost always the writer and the rapper, the writer and the performer are typically always the same person, which also you don't necessarily get in lots of other forms of music. You may find that there's a whole bunch of, um, you know, if you look on the typical pop song, you might find that there's eight to 12 different writers who have helped to create that song. And sometimes the person who's singing it is not the person who wrote the song. And in most cases, it's not actually. So you're not really getting their perspective. You're just listening to a song written by somebody else and then sung by someone else. Whereas with a rapper, it's more true to who that individual is. So for me, it's an amazing way to just express my thoughts and just put them out there in a way that's entertaining, fun, insightful, and demonstrates my talent and allows me to flex my ability. And then when it comes to live performances, I absolutely love doing live performances. It's been a long time since I've done one now um, because of all the nonsense that's been going on in the world. But um, yeah, I mean, not, nothing beats standing in front of a crowd and just sharing your thoughts with them in musical form. So You've hit on something on a number on a, a number of really interesting things. I mean, I've thought exactly about what you're saying. Why is it that so many people, including myself, love rap? It is it is a form of you see now you you call it music, you call them songs, but the music part, the beat, you know what often. You have to be a great rapper to be a great rapper and to have a hit and have a popular, you know, have, be a popular performer. On the other hand, if someone else is is is, is doing the composing of the, the you know, the, the track and the you know the hooks are what sell music. Mm -hmm. Rock box. When I was in college, you know, that was the, the first step. In my, you know, in 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 the world that I that I, you know, was operating in of of a combination of a great, you know, of classical rock type sounds, and and rap, I would never have listened to rock box if it didn't have this awesome awesome hook, mm. which it does, of course, obviously. And on the other hand, it's run D, it, it's run DMC. So sometimes I ask myself, so what? So what is it that's going on here? Because is it the fact that the guys now? They, now, I guess a lot of it has to do. You, you don't do a lot of you don't do a lot of sampling or DJ type stuff, do you? 
Uh, no, I mean, I have some songs with some samples in them here and there. Samples are a bit of a minefield in the music world, as I'm sure you know. So I try, yes, I try, I try to avoid those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I try to avoid that. You don't do a lot, you don't do a lot of sampling. Just, I'm, I'm just trying to understand the creative... Is it, is, is it the case that there are just a lot of people out there who can give you the musical... You know, it's, it's sort of a commodity. Oh, like beats and instrumentals, you mean? Yeah. I mean, in the hip hop world, man, there's thousands and thousands of producers all around the world who are putting their stuff out there, who want people to hear their beats, who want rappers to rap on them, who want singers to sing on them, etc. So I have some people who are sort of some of my go-to producers and people who I've worked with quite a lot of times and I really like their style and it fits with the way that I rap and my flow. And then I also get sent a lot of stuff. So our, you know, producers who may have heard about me or heard my music will sometimes just send beats over for me and you know, they'll, hey, if you hear anything here you wanna use on your al album or use for a single, et cetera. And then occasionally as well, I'll also have an idea in mind and I'll talk to a producer and I'll say, okay, this is the kind of general vibe that I'm looking for in a track. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the process, once I've got a beat that I like, then, and I know I've got a beat that I like when lyrics automatically start coming to my head and I start thinking of flow patterns and stuff like that, then honestly, as a matter of me just sitting down and uh, doing, a, doing a verbal dump of what I want to say and making it sound dope, making it witty, making it fun, making it flow well, um, coming up with a, an interesting hook, which ties it all together. And that's typically, that's typically how I work. I just, uh, I just listen to something over and over again and it naturally flows for me. It seems to me that rap in many respects is a rebirth of a, of a, of a muscular form of poetry. Mm. Uh, you know, and it happens that it came into the world through the urban black experience, predominantly in America, mm -hmm. which fueled a, uh, you know, a standard driving thrust, you know, because of the anger and frustration that was typically voiced, especially in the early, obviously early hip hop mm -hmm. um, stuff. It is not, you know, I, it's because you've been in Saudi Arabia, you've had this exotic world up, uh, you know, international upbringing. It wasn't until I started going to a barber in, uh, in my neighborhood of Clifton, New Jersey, who it comes from South America, that I realized that there's not only there are not only are there white rappers, but there, that there are Spanish rappers. Oh gosh! And growing up in a cute, my mother's from Cuba, so mm. growing up in a house where I was exposed to um, salsa music, growing up, the hearing it was fascinating to me to to, to, to see how that that cultural translation made it into rap. But rap has this extraordinary plasticity, you know, as you said, you can, you can say what you want. It is, you know, it just seems to, to be the default position in performing music these days. So that's how you are going to be Zuby for the foreseeable future. But, <laughs> but you're, but, but, but I suspect that your ambitions go beyond making a living and beyond getting, you know, being a successful rapper, mm -hmm. you seem to want to have something to, you seem to have something to say. And I think 
my bet is I could be wrong and you'll tell me that you want to make a difference regarding a lot of really important social issues. Yeah. You th- I mean, to, to, to an extent, I mean, my goal in life is to have a positive impact and influence on over 10 million people through my words, actions, talents, experiences, ideas. So that's the number? that, yep. 10 million plus 10 where'd million you come is up? the minimum. Where'd you come up with that? Uh, I used to be a million. And then number one, I've probably, I may have already done that. And also I read a book called the 10 X rule by Grant Cardone. And it said, you need to take all your goals and multiply them by 10. So I overnight went from saying, I want to impact 1 million people positively to, I want to impact 10 million. Um, why so not for me? Exactly. Not? You know, I've, I've got the potential to do it. And as far as I'm concerned, that's why I'm here on this earth. So that includes, so if you want to see the sort of through line between all the things I do from yes. my music to my fitness stuff, to my socio-political commentary, to podcast, to interviews, everything, it's all about having a positive impact and influence on people, encouraging people to fulfill their potential, encouraging people to be better mentally, physically, spiritually, everything, right? I want people to, I'm always striving to achieve my goals and to live the best life I can and to tell the truth and to be successful and to have abundance and to preach victor mentality, not victim mentality. And as I've seen, the reason I even got into any aspect of social commentary, which is, I guess is how a lot of people know me these days, was simply because I saw the world, particularly the modern Western world where, where I've been living, shifting too far in a certain direction on a whole lot of different things to the point where I felt my duty, I felt a compulsion to speak out, right? So I've always kept it real in my music and I've always spoken about certain things, but I never wanted to say, use my Twitter platform or my YouTube platform, et cetera, to talk about anything potentially controversial or polarizing or political or et cetera, right? I was like, let me keep these things separate. I can have these conversations in private. But then it just got to a stage around 20, 2017, 2018, where I was like, you know what? I can't even say stay silent on some of this stuff. Man. Everything is political. And, and the point is you wouldn't have had the choice yeah. because everything is political. Mm-hmm. Everything has become political. Have you, well, you're a Christian, right? Yes. So your perspective is, is, is one grounded in traditional morality. And you've lived in Saudi Arabia, which is a conser- extremely conservative society to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's a pretty, do you ever feel like that's a lonely place to be as a, you know, as a person, first of all, in the entertainment business, <laughs> or do you have anything um, to do with the entertainment business? Well, I'd say I'm in the entertainment business, but not the entertainment industry. Right? Ooh, I, I, good, stay okay. out, I stay out of industries. Um, as soon as you attach the word industry to anything good, you make it bad as far as I'm concerned. So I'm very much in the music world. I'm in the entertainment world and the business, but I'm, I've always operated outside the bounds and the confines of the industry. Is it lonely? Um, maybe in some ways, but it's it's good. Like, I like it. I like the fact that I am the only me. There's no one else who does what I do in the combination and in the way that I do them. There's plenty of rappers out there. There's podcasters out there. There's fitness people out there, right? There's people who do various aspects of the things I do, but there's no one who 
as I, as far as I'm concerned, is my even even my competition because I just I'm in my own lane. I've created my own lane. I've created my own audience. I have my own particular way of doing things in the combination. I do it, and I love that, you know. And I unite a lot of people from all around the world who are in line with what my message is. Right. That doesn't mean that they all 100% agree with me on everything. But what I love about my audience is it's generally because of who I am and how I do things. It's people who are open-minded. It's people who are critical thinkers. It's people who are trying to strive for the truth. It's generally people who are open to personal responsibility and self-improvement, so on and so forth. And it's great to be able to connect with all of these hundreds of thousands or millions of people all around the world through these different avenues, through these different platforms. And the feedback I get is phenomenal. And the opportunities are just amazing. I mean, I'm going out to I mean, I'm here, I'm here in Istanbul, like I've never been to Turkey in my life. And every single day I've been here, I've had people recognize me, right? And I mean, I'm an independent rapper from the South Coast of England. When I go to the USA, I'm going to like 10 different states. I've got opportunities here, opportunities there. And the simple fact that so many people are interested in my thoughts and what I'm doing and my music and this and that, it's a huge blessing. And um, it's not something I take for granted at all. It's something I've been working very hard to achieve over the past 15 years. I mean, like I said, I've been making music now for 15 years. I've been doing it full time for almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years in October. Um, and it's in the past two years where things have really, really accelerated for me. So I'm just trying to maximize that potential. And by me doing so, I can directly and indirectly encourage other people to do the same thing in whatever their chosen life path is. Well, you, would you agree that part of the reason that that acceleration has been uh, what it has been, that is that because of your positive message and the fact that you are in an age where nihilism mm -hmm. and, and, you know, this, I wouldn't, you know, I, I think a lot of people talk about communism and socialism. What I fundamentally see from people your age and younger and unfortunately older too, is a real sense of nihilism that nothing matters. There is, there are, there, there are no judgments. There's only power and influence and getting your way. Mm -hmm. And as a Christian, obviously that's a vision that you can't possibly adopt. And, and it seems to me that your spiritual life, which I don't want to get any more personal than you want me to get, um, must be infusing the nature of your message and your persona. Yeah, it does. And it always has done, you know, I was raised with particular values. You know, I come from a, a wonderful family. I have fantastic parents, wonderful brothers and sisters. Um, and I've been very privileged in a lot of ways, right? And we live in this weird time where privilege is, you know, everything's being inverted and turned on its head, right? You're supposed to apologize for your privilege now. Right. So someone say, oh, you're, you're a privileged person. I'm like, yes, darn right. I'm privileged. Correct. Right. <laughs> so it's my right. And it's, it's my duty. It's my responsibility to use those to those privileges the world, right. To, to, to help myself and to help the world, to help my family, to help my community, to not to retreat from no. the platform of privilege and be, that, that uh, no. and God has placed me. No, and not to self-flagellate it, self-flagellate myself and, you know, be promoting all this victimhood nonsense. It's like, no, abs absolutely not. I want other people to be able to 
experience that same privilege. And I want people to, to, to recognize it. I mean, look, if you live in the, the UK, Western Europe, the USA, Canada, et cetera, in this modern era, by definition, you are one of the most privileged people to ever walk this planet, right? And there, there's just so much of this, of this strange stuff going on now where there's virtue in victimhood, right? And I'm not talking about real victimhood. I'm not talking about, you know, someone who's actually uh, faced some sort of challenge or oppression or someone who's really had to overcome something difficult, right? I'm talking about this mentality of, you know, woe is me, woe is you, everything is bad, we've made no progress, everything is terrible, we need to fight all of these isms and phobias and invent them where they don't exist. And we need to, you know, tell this person they're privileged, tell that person they're oppressed. I just, I reject all of that stuff. It's divisive, it's unhelpful, keeps people feeling resentment, stops people from achieving what they're capable of, so on and so forth. And I, I'm, you know, and I've just seen so much of that over the past, you know, there's been this rising tide of it over the past decade in particular. And again, that's why I, I just felt like, okay, I need to become a little more uh, aggressive <laughs> in terms of putting my, my message out there because a lot of people are aggressively putting out messages that actually I think are bad for society, right? I, th I think it's bad, right? I, I think it's bad to tell a white person or a white child that they are inherently um, uh, privileged or guilty and or racist and they need to atone for their own uncommitted sins and the sins of their ancestors and this and that. I think it's terrible to tell a young black child that oh, white people are out to get them and the whole system is racist and we live in a white supremacist country and this and that, and you should be suspicious of this. I'm like, gosh, man, are we going back to, you know, the 1800s? Like what is going on here? So much progress has been made, um, which is good. We should, we should recognize that. We should recognize that and be grateful for it. And we should have some perspective and we should, we should have, have this gratitude. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect and nothing ever will be because human beings are flawed. But it's like, look, we've created something wonderful here. And not everyone in the world has it. Most people in the world don't, even, don't have it, right? And I've traveled extensively, so, so I, I've seen this, right? And so first, let's recognize this. And then let's do something good with it. Let's continue to make things better here and maintain the things that are good and slowly tweak the things that we want to change. And um, let, let, let's not just hold torpedo let's not torpedo this whole thing, right? Like I don't live in the USA, but I keep an eye on what's going on in the US. And you know, there's the biggest threats to the USA are internal right now, as far as I'm concerned, right? The biggest threats to the UK are internal. It's not a foreign power who's coming, you know, threatening to invade you or something. It's people who are actually, you know, oftentimes citizens within the, your own country who are trying to, you know, blow the whole thing up, essentially, you know, tear everything down, we need to tear down all the statues, we need to, don't, no, don't, we don't want to uh, pledge allegiance to the flag, we want to burn the flag, we want to kneel for the flag, we want to desecrate this, we want to do that, right? We want to obliterate history, we want to bring, uh, you know, critical race theory into the schools and start teaching people that this and that and reinstitute some form of segregation. I'm just like, what is what is going on? Like, this is what, like, that's what's going to kill America, right? It's not, <laughs> if people aren't careful, it's not going to be um, some, some country coming in with, with tanks and bombers. It's going to be that fabric of society getting torn apart. People becoming so polarized, left and right, red and blue, black and white, whatever, that, you know, the whole concept 
that was working so well and has been for a while, despite being imperfect, you know, sort of implodes on itself. And I think people need to be so don't need to be so, um, you know, people need to be, be, be careful that they're not trying so hard to create their own version of utopia that they end up creating something that's far worse than what we currently have. I think when you, when you strive for utopia, history shows us that you actually always end up with dystopia. Well, I mean, my point was actually that if, if we could really believe that people were striving for utopia, then we could have a conversation with them. Yeah. What is, you know, what is good in life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But my fear, what I perceive is that dystopia is the goal of many people because and, and if you told me, you know, let's go back to what I said about rap before. If you told me that people who were rapping in the 80s and 90s wanted to tear it all down because their lives were so, you know, hopeless and the ghetto experience was so awful, and I'm going to take it at face value that that is true, I can understand it. But what we see is that the most privileged people in the country and, 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 and in the West, college students, children of upper middle class and better off families throwing bombs into police cars. Like there, there, there's no, it's just a, you still have this sort of tear it down mentality. Mm -hmm. um, you have this, you have this message, which is a positive one. Do you feel like you have to, you know, you, you had your sales trimmed a little bit more because uh, you stepped on one of the, on Twitter, on one of the third rails, as we say, in the New York parlance, uh, you know, one of the live <laughs> wires of, uh, of, of social internet discourse, which was that you challenged the self-identification of a, a trans person um, on did, Twitter. Did, so did you, I? I think that was the whole point, right? You said, okay, dude. No, that's not what it was. I didn't even know that person had was trans anything. I just said, okay, dude, like whatever. <laughs> Well, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Well, that's my point. And whether it's completely arbitrary or whether it was perceived by someone as having been something, something, mm -hmm. are you, are you casting your views on social media with an eye toward how much you have to lose? I mean, when you, I noticed that when I went from 30 followers, he's shaking his head, folks, you listen, you're not watching the video. So I'm going to let me let it be state for the record that the witness is shaking his head, but I'm going to, <laughs> but I'm going to finish my, 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 Sorry, my, I noticed that when I went from 20 some odd 30,000 followers to a hundred thousand followers that I had much more to lose. Uh -huh. Now, the fact is, I think like you, I'm not that worried about it. I'm more worried about what, my followers think about what I have to say. Uh -huh. And I do think that Twitter, I think that the, the censors of Twitter who are aware of me and they're aware of you because we're uh -huh. relatively big guys, they know where we're, they know where we're coming from. And I don't think they operate, operate in good faith, but I do think they think that realize that there are some people who can use certain words and get away with it because we're serious. Uh -huh. we're, we're not, you know, and it, so you shook your head. No, you're not, censoring or editing yourself. Tell me what, tell me how you can do that and avoid trouble. Sure. Well, two things. Number one is I play within the rules, right? I know what the Twitter guidelines are. I know what the YouTube guidelines are. I know what the Facebook guidelines are. I'm on all these platforms. I have a big following on all these platforms and I play within the rules. 
right? I don't post stuff that breaks the rules, right? Which is why the okay dude thing was so egregious because obviously there's no, uh, there's there's nothing there that breaks any policy. And I think, you know, everybody well, gosh, knows that. I thought I've seen some stuff from you really pushing the, really pushing the, the vaccination and COVID narratives in the unapproved direction. And yet you sure. obviously have a feel for, for, for where you can take it and where you can't. Yeah, of course. I've never, I mean, no one's can pull up a single tweet in regards to that. That's um, a violation of- I'm not, I'm not gonna look rules, for it. Yeah? yeah, no, so, um, yeah, no. So that's the first part. And the second part is, you know, every, the, the biggest problem we have in our countries, in the UK and the USA, the biggest problem and the real pandemic is cowardice, right? People ask, how have we gotten here, right? I was cancel culture and censorship and this and that. And like, bro, it's because so many people are being cowards, right? You've allowed it to get to this stage, right? How, how has it even gotten to that level? It's gotten to that stage due to collective cowardice, right? We, yes. have, we have freedom of speech, right? And if you don't use your freedom of speech, you lose your freedom of speech. Okay. And people need to understand this. So everyone's hiding and hiding and, you know, hiding behind comic book characters and dogs and cats on their Twitter and using fake names and doing this. And I call it out. Like that's nothing that irritates my followers more than when I call them out for their own cowardice. And they're like, Hey man, you're, it's easy for you to say you're like a famous rapper. You can, I'm like, bro, like, you know, you have to understand that you are complicit in this, right? If you are, so terrified of you know a handful of blue-haired weirdos on Twitter or whatever because they might so-called cancel you or they might you know rage at you or whatever for a little bit, then you're just emboldening them, right? That's that's how it's gotten this far, right? It's literally how it's gotten this far. So anyone, especially people who are more like right-leaning, you know, conservative, libertarian, even sane liberal, whatever, people need to speak up more, right? People need to actually push back against certain things, right? If someone is out there saying, you know, boys can have, uh, can have uh, vaginas and menstruate and get pregnant, you have to say, no, they can't. No, stop entertaining it. Why, why are we still having this discussion about whether males should compete in female sports and be in female prison? Why are we having these conversations? Because no one wants to just come out and say no. And you right? still have that record, right? You still have the women's deadlift <laughs> record? Of, yes, of, I do. <laughs> and, and, and bench press as well, right? Um, <laughs> And, and it's like people are just, not everyone is lying, but too many people are being complicit in the lie. And again, so, but, but this is a real big, this is a gigantic mm, challenge because I get okay. killed on this also. I, I have let loose a couple times on this anonymity stuff. And I've lost more than one job over sticking my neck out, whether as an attorney because of the work that I'm doing that was too controversial. Mm -hmm. I mean, to say jobs, I'm, I'm a lawyer with my own practice and wh whose shingle I do it under is not all that important. But, and, and to, to that extent, I'm a little bit like Zuby. I'm, I'm an independent <laughs> entrepreneur. Uh, and I can carry a tune, by the way. I probably, maybe I sing better than you. You say you don't sing too well. Um, <laughs> but you have to be prepared. Now, I, I just think not everyone has that gene, but people sure. come after me and say, but I'm, but I'm gonna lose my job. I can't afford, I, I, I you know, and, on an individual level, it's always true. And not everyone mm -hmm. is a Ron Coleman or a Zuby who has this confidence and this ability to somehow. Okay, can I? How do we answer I, them? Can I jump in here? What, what, please? That, per, that person's gonna lose their job for what? What, what do they think they're gonna lose their job for? Uh, uh, specifically. Being perceived as a Trump supporter. Let's make it simple. 
so in an environment. They're, so, so they're working in a workplace where someone would fire them for voting for Trump. Has anyone ever been fired for voting for Trump? Who's, how many people got fired for voting for Trump? 60 million people, 70 million people voted for Trump in this year, last year, right? How many right. of those 70 million Americans lost their job? Like if they said, if they came into work and said, yeah, you know, I voted, yeah, I voted for Trump, they, they'd lose their jobs? Is that even they, legal? Well, I, I, on the one hand, they would be, there are, there are many environments, especially mm-hmm. in, the, in the coastal cities, yes. where they would be othered, as we say, in the 21st okay. century. They, they would, their career, I can tell you from my own experience, people, mm-hmm. the whispering campaigns begin. Okay. This guy's a guy's a right wing nut. Okay. It begins to affect like, things like like half the like half the whole country are right wing nuts. Apparently. Yeah, oh, they're fine. But remember, it's not the half is not evenly distributed through right. It's not like every other person in um, in the Upper West Side. I know. I've been to San Francisco. I've been to Los Angeles. I know. Right, right. So, but but let me make the, the case a little bit harder. What if someone okay. says, you know, I I think that that kid. Um, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? He was my client for 10 minutes, um, who, who, who was charged with, uh, who's claiming self-defense. I've got such a... Um, Kyle Rittenhouse? Yes, the Kyle Rittenhouse. I, I think, you know, I've looked at the videos and I don't really see a problem with what he did. I mean, I, you know, I, I might not have done it the same way, but it looks like he was defending himself. You, you can absolutely, you know, you, then you get banned from Twitter for saying that. It's absolutely possible. Absolutely possible. Who got banned? Did people get banned from Twitter for saying that? Yeah, yeah, they have. They have. Really? Okay. Yeah, believe it or not, that's what. Or, 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 or well, what, otherwise. What rule does that violate? Uh, encouraging violence. Okay. By the way, they don't have to violate a rule. Well, I'm aware. I'm. Aware. As you know, right? I know. Okay. I represent. When I represented, uh, I'm still representing Gavin McInnes. Mm-hmm. He was forced out of his neighborhood for being Gavin McInnes because of lies that were told by him about by the Southern Poverty Law Center and others okay. that that the Proud Boys were a racist organization, which they're not, that they're white supremacists, which they're not. I know. He could not buy his, he could not, he moved into a new neighborhood, which then proceeded to, you know, make his life a living hell. He, he had to start his own TV network. Now, he's a well-off guy, also like Zuby and Ron, actually much better off than I am, and maybe even better off than Zuby. Um, point is, his family has been devastated by this. His uh-huh. kids are, you know, it's, a, it's been a real nightmare for them. There are real consequences for people, and especially when you get deplatformed, you can't even defend yourself, as was the case. In, in, in his, I'm, I'm his aware case. of this. I mean, but so you know, know this. Yeah, I'm aware of that. I mean, look, Gavin McInnes is a very prominent. Like the average person is not. This is not justifying any of that, but like the average person right. is not Gavin McInnes. They haven't created a whole platform over multiple years about you know Gavin McInnes is very, very edgy, very, very controversial. He has said stuff that is- Right, like, in a way it proves too much, okay. it proves, yeah. Right, but like the average person who's just like, you know, your average Republican American, right? <laughs> Who, you know, voted for Trump or whatever, right? Like they have this whole fear that, oh my gosh, if they find, it's the same in the UK, people, oh my gosh, if, if people find I voted Brexit or what, I'm like, dude, like, it's collective cowardice, man. That, that's that's really what it is. And the fact it's even gotten to that level, it's gotten to that level, not because of, you know, 
the left. It's gotten there because, you know, people on the right are not standing up for themselves. And right? that includes so, the right. And that includes, you know, I, I think to a large extent, uh, the, a lot of damage has been done mm. as we slide into our, you know, last few minutes here because I've got to be fair to you. Yeah, that's okay, man. A lot, a lot of damage has been done by this so-called moderate conservatives mm-hmm. who are, it's increasingly clear, are, are not conservative at all. I mean, you know, many of these figures have been outright cheerleaders for non-conservative political results and causes. But there's a, a real lack of, when, if you control the platform, you mm-hmm. can control the perception that people have of whether they're alone. Yes. And, you know, you grew up, you know, in an isolate, you know, away from home in a strange land with highly accomplished parents. And, you know, as an amateur psychologist, I might say that someone with your talents in such a circumstance and with wonderful parents is going to come out being, you know, a a star is going to be a tremendous self-confidence and have that kind of kind of moral courage. You know, from your your 400 plus thousand followers on Twitter. How many of them will never ever interact on anything? They're afraid to even, oh, yeah, even like. Oh, I've got more followers than that. A lot of people won't even follow me because, like, you know, they're afraid of. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They follow you through through mm-hmm. through beards. Yeah, yeah. I've got. Or, I've definitely got over half a million Twitter. I've probably, probably got a million Twitter followers in terms of people who actually follow my account. Nine million to go. You know, yeah. I didn't <laughs> talk at all about the the fitness stuff, which is I've seen some of the pictures of you with even more of your skin showing. <laughs> then you've chosen for for our for for our podcast. You're absolutely ripped. I because that's not obviously a particular interest of mine. I do think I nonetheless should be fair. Your vision of the the whole self improvement and self sort of actualization. It's a little bit of a, an old fashioned phrase, but this whole you obviously regard physical fitness as a really important part of that. And I, I just want to hear from you because I think I'm, I'm not being fair to the whole Zuby concept if I, if I don't mention it. <laughs> yeah, sure, man. I mean, it fits in with everything else, man. Uh, it's about fulfilling your potential and just living a healthy life. I mean, you get one body, right? I mean, it's insane to me that there are so many people who treat their material possessions better than they treat their own body. You get one body for has to last you your entire life, however many decades or, you know, if you're lucky, maybe you get a century plus. Um, and if you mess it up, then, you know, if you mess it up too much, then you die. That's literally how people die, right? Um, so look after it, right? Look after your, look after your body, right? Nutrition, um, exercise, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, like very basic stuff. So, I mean, it, it's, it's insane that over the past year and a half, we've been living through this so-called pandemic situation, which primarily targets people who are number one elderly, but besides that, um, obese. And all of the advice that's been coming from the sort of main channels has literally been the opposite of what you should do to boost your immune system, right? They shut down the gyms, told people to stay inside, reduced human interaction, made people depressed, got people eating junk food and trash all of this. And it's like, this is literally the opposite of what you want to be doing if you actually wanted to make people stronger. But again, you, we're living in this. Go ahead. You mentioned something really critical that I think a lot of people overlook. Human interaction, physical, yes. actual human interaction is such a gigantic part of the picture. And you can have all these, you know, we were joking before we went on. I said, nice to meet you. And you seized on it quite logically. 
and say, Ron, we, you know, if you call this meeting, yes, we have met each other. And, and <laughs> in, in the 21st century, or certainly in 2021, this is what often passes for meeting each other. And yet I find mm. when I meet someone, when I get to know someone on Twitter, and I meet them in real life later, we do feel as if we know each other. But mm. that's still not a substitute for the the social fabric, the walking down the street and seeing the same people every day and going into a store and being recognized. Any idea what we can do to, to bring that back? So let's get yeah. out of the house. <laughs> I was going to say, get, get out of the house, take off your silly mask and smile at your smile at people and just have conversations. Um, it, it's really nice actually being in Istanbul right now because people are generally normal, right? I was in the UK a week ago and now I'm here. And it's a pretty stark difference. Um, you know, I'm ending up in way more conversations and, you know, some people are wearing masks, some people aren't, nobody's bothering each other. Like no one's being weird about it. And man, we just, it's just a return to normalcy, right? Just a return to normalcy. That's what, that's what we need. It's so important for people's mental health, physical health, for the social fabric, et cetera. And I think people have been forced to become so disconnected from that over the past year and a half. It's been far worse in certain places than in others. Um, and so people need to just go back to that. That, that. That's all it is. Social media is great. The internet is great. Video calls are great. Zoom calls, FaceTime, all of that stuff is magic. It's wonderful. It's great that we have it, but it's not a substitute for real world human interaction. And there's always elements of communication you're going to miss without that. And I actually do think that a big part of the um, you know, this, this nihilism and this polarization and this anger and this hostility that you're sort of seeing is, is, is a, based in a result of a lack of that, right? When people are just on Twitter all day, yelling at each other, reading things that make them angry, you know, browsing around online, looking for things to make them mad and just reacting to them all the time. It, you do get that feeling of, oh my gosh, the world is going crazy. Everybody is nuts. Everyone's angry. Things are so polarized. And then, you know, you go outside, you walk down the street, wherever you are and, People aren't fighting and beating each other and throwing Molotov cocktails at each other. So people are still pretty sane and pretty chilled out. So uh, yeah, you know, more of that. It always comes down to perspective and gratitude for me. And I think people need to really work to maintain those. Zuby, fundamentally, there's nothing like gratitude. Maimonides says that you can't consider having an appropriate relationship with God who is who bestows all blessing to all of humanity until you're able to be great to be grateful to your own parents to the world to the people who who help you in this world these are building blocks to understanding and and unfortunately those building blocks are scattered all over around us there is no substitute for you zuby i hope you. you that you don't stop at 10 but that you go to 100 and, and then to 100 million and then to what americans would call a billion <laughs> and then why not to a uk billion what the heck i don't think there are that many people though and I, I'm not in a rush to get there either. But it's been fantastic talking to you. You are an absolutely fascinating and positive person. And I thank you very much for helping uh, people who might not be familiar with your work and where you're coming from uh, and who will nonetheless be listening to the culmination. Be exposed to your thinking and what's going on with you. And uh, we could have spoken all day, but we both have real, real things to do, like in my case, writing words down in your case, spitting them out. <laughs> Appreciate it, Ron. It's been great to talk. So long. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. 
For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.